Mark 16. Verse 12 and 13. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Father in heaven, again, this is the truth. It is the whole truth, the entire truth, and we pray that it encourages, corrects, instructs, empowers, that no matter where we came in here today, no matter how we came in here today, this word is going to speak to our heart. There's just no doubt. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. The movie, The Princess Bride, starts with a young boy. He's about seven or eight. He's sick and he's home from school and grandpa comes to read him a story. Now the young boy is not necessarily looking forward to the visit from grandpa because grandpa always kind of pinches his cheeks and the stories are always kind of corny and boring. But the young boy indulges grandpa and so grandpa starts reading the story of a pretty farm girl named Buttercup, and her servant boy named Wesley. Now, as soon as Grandpa starts reading, the little boy is kind of like, oh, this is just going to be terrible. It's going to be, oh, it's going to be boring. Um, and as Grandpa begins to read, whenever the farm girl asks the servant boy to do something, his response is, as you wish. As you wish. And when Grandpa says that when the farm boy responds, as you wish, he was really saying, I love you. Well, the seven or eight-year-old boy starts to cringe a little bit. All right, and then when the farm girl kisses the servant boy, ah, that's enough, Grandpa, yuck. This is disgusting. Like most eight-year-old boys. Ultimately, as Grandpa continues to tell the story, he starts talking about giants and pirates, and a swordsman named Enigo Montoya seeking vengeance to those that have killed his father. And if you remember, my name is Enigo Montoya. You've killed my father. Prepare to die. <laughs> As the story goes on, the young boy is pulled in. He's captivated by Grandpa's story. And by the end of the movie, though he was apprehensive and he was bored and he was dreading it, now he's captivated and he wants more as he's drawn into the story. By the end of the story, Grandpa goes to leave and the young boy says, Grandpa, could you come back and read it again tomorrow? And Grandpa responds and he says, as you wish. It's fair to say that Grandpa's story hit a home run. It exceeded expectations. It was better than what he thought it would be. Now... We see the journey through the movie of the young boy pulled into this great story. 
and it's a similar journey that we travel in this life as you are pulled into less of your story and more of God's story. This is something that's pretty wonderful when you see it happen to a life. And as a pastor, I'm in the privileged position of getting to see this happen. I get to see people that are going through wandering and lost, and they find the meaning of life. And that's amazing. I get to see some people that have no hope find hope and what that does to their soul. I get to see people that are pushing through life now when they find their purpose being pulled through life suddenly. Such is the journey we take today in this passage called the road to Emmaus, which is one of my very favorites in scripture. Mark only gives it two sentences and you're looking at it and you're saying, well, there are two sentences, Pastor John. How is this one of your very favorite passages in all scripture? Because it doesn't really say all that much. Yes, but there are four gospels and sometimes one gospel will expand on something that the other gospel kind of touches on. And this is how the gospels complement each other. So we're going to go for a more extensive explanation. And what we're going to do is we're going to go to the doctor. And when I say the doctor, I mean the only Gentile writer in the New Testament. His name is Luke. So please turn in your Bibles to Luke 24. As you do, understand this, that Luke, the more detailed gospel, tells the story of these two men that are leaving Jerusalem after the darkest moment in human history. They waited three days. Now they're on their way home, and they are disappointed. They are defeated. They are disgruntled. What happened? The one that they had their hope in, their expectation in, now the show is over. He seems to have died, and all the king's horses and all the king's men are not going to be able to put this story back together again. But as we accompany them on the seven-mile walk today, on the road to Emmaus, as we accompany them on the seven-mile walk, what we're going to use is we're going to use seven words they're all going to start with C. It's just a pastor thing. All right, so there are going to be seven words. They all start with C. So we're going to go on this journey with these men from being crushed and confused, crumbling, to an encounter with Christ, which leaves them captivated and compelled. And that's going to be the journey that they go through. And here's the thing. It's a seven-mile journey. Seven in the Bible is the number of perfection, right? So seven in the Bible is the number of perfection, and so they're going to go on this journey. And what this seven-mile journey represents, kind of, you'll see our journey. Every journey of somebody in here that has found Jesus has gone through a similar journey that we see these men going on, and every day goes through a similar journey. And so we titled this message, uh, Journey Over the Seven Seas. Yeah, it's a play on words, because if you're familiar with the writing of Rudyard Kipling or the song by the Eurythmics, we've traveled the world in the seven seas. Everybody's looking for something. That's the one. Thank you. All right. Yeah, that's the one. Yes. I, yeah, we don't want to go further into that song. But we've traveled the world in the seven seas. When we talk about the seven seas, well, what it signifies, what it symbolizes is the search that people are on for the meaning of life, searching the world over. I've traveled to seven seas. And so today we're going to take a look at seven seas, and we're going to uh, look in our God positioning system, our GPS, as we go on this journey together. And, um, and we're going to start with reading verses 13 through 17 of Luke chapter 24. So verses 13 through 17 of Luke chapter 24. 
Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Stop right there. So you have these two men, and they're taking this journey together. All right, again, the show's over in Jerusalem. The one that they followed, the one that they respected, the one that they left everything for, well, he seems to have been killed. And you can imagine this conversation. They've got to be puzzled. Like, all right, we left our fishing nets. We left our tax collecting booths. We, we left everything. We followed him. His teaching was amazing. He was so powerful. And you can imagine that there are moments of silence on this walk. Maybe some moments of tears. Maybe some moments of just SMH. Shake my head. They're going through these moments as they're going through this walk. How could somebody so powerful, how could this happen to them? How could evil win like this? Now, as they're reasoning and as they're having this conversation, it says that uh, somebody came up next to them. And their eyes were restrained from recognizing them. It says Jesus himself drew near and went with them. point is this. Jesus is right there, and having eyes they do not see. Some people believe something was done to their eyes to restrain them. Some people believe that Jesus' appearance was different. What we have to understand is pretty simple. In our culture, seeing is believing. But they didn't believe. In God's economy, it works different. We do not see because we do not believe. And so the Bible says something extraordinary that goes counterintuitive, goes counter to our senses. It says faith comes by not seeing. It says faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes from the Word. And so the way toward finding meaning and purpose and healing and comfort on this journey is going to start with a conversation with this stranger that they do not recognize. But the first thing is that when Jesus comes alongside them, they don't know him. He says, hey, guys, what are you talking about? It says here that when he said that, it says they stood still. They stood still. It says their eyes were restrained. They did not know him. Jesus says, what kind of conversation do you have with one another as you walk in our set? And this is going to be the first of our seven C's because it, uh, it's pretty important that we start here. It says that they walked and were sad. So the first C is crushed. That's the first C. Crushed. Broken. Defeated. Lost. Powerless. However you want to say it, they're crushed. In the same way that we sometimes respond when things don't necessarily happen the way that we hope they will. When things don't go according to our plans. When the story doesn't necessarily turn out the way we hoped. 
The relationship didn't work. Uh, the job was lost. The illness wasn't cured. The healing doesn't come. Have you had those moments that didn't quite go the way that you thought they would? And the first thing we did was we said, where were you, God? What just happened? And now we're kind of broken and crushed because of it. In essence, what we're saying is, I don't like what God did here. I don't like what you did here, God. I think you should have done it a different way. My guess is, is that there might be a few people in here where something has happened in your life and God made a call that you didn't necessarily agree with. But the question I started asking myself was this. When he made a call that I didn't agree with, did I go to him before and through the situation or only after the situation went so far south that it couldn't be pulled back? And I didn't go to him in the first place, and then I started wondering what went wrong. Only when the situation went to crisis, then I went to him. And I kind of pulled him out of my pocket, almost like we do a lucky rabbit's foot. And I said, okay, now help me. Almost like a genie is what we treated God. And we wondered why we started blaming God or we were frustrated with God because we didn't understand his ways. But that's not it. The problem was really this. He didn't respect our way of doing things. God was not necessarily a respecter of our way. And when we turned out bad and hurting, it had all to do with our expectations. And this is why people get so disappointed. When there's a national tragedy, one of the first things people do is they gather in the churches and they ask, why God? And while they want comfort and they want healing, the thing that they don't want is to say, okay, God, what changes are you calling us to make in the situation? And that's why when the tragedies happen, we see all these memes that say praying for this one and all the people that have never turned to God say your prayers mean nothing. No, that's not true. But prayers without action and without turning our hearts to God will end up crushed. Listen, the difference be between coming bitter and becoming better is whether you press into him or pull away from him in your brokenness. Does that make sense? The difference, because you've seen people that have had bad things happen in this life, that have been challenged by life, and they've become increasingly bitter because of it. You've seen the journey to their hardness, all right? But the difference between the people that become bitter or become better is whether they press into him through their hurt or they start pulling away from him gradually. So when the crisis comes, the crushing in the Christian life is important. Now... Somebody wrote it like this. The difference between a lump of coal and a perfect diamond is simply that although they are both carbon and although they are both crystal-like in structure, the lump of coal is dark and dirty, while the perfect diamond lets the, lets the light shine through. The diamond is carbon that has been crushed and heated under tremendous temperature and pressure to remove any impurities. The Christian is called to be a diamond. Unlike rocks and stones, we are living stones called out of the black coal darkness into wonderful light. And we are being processed from lumps of coal into diamonds. And the living of the Christian life means we leave the old life 
And that is pressure as we are called to live as strangers in this world, as we reject the sinful desires that war against our soul, and at times it causes great heat in our lives and pressure and crushing, perhaps the heat of shame or guilt or denial. We might say to ourselves about some apparently small things um, that seem to be nothing, and we see that in nature how important the crushing is. We see it again with the caterpillar. Something scientifically happens to the caterpillar that nobody can really explain. After it dies in the chrysalis, it breaks down into a jumbled bunch of proteins. But if it doesn't break down like that, then the proteins don't have the opportunity to reassemble into something meaningful and beautiful. Jesus says something that goes along with this in John 12, 24. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies... It remains alone. But if it dies, it produces, it produces much grain. Seed has to go into the ground. If you remember before Jesus meets the multitude, what does he have to do when he feeds the multitude? What does he have to do first? He breaks the bread and gives thanks, right? He has to break it and then it multiplies. Now, we have so many examples in the Bible. The grapes have to be crushed in order to produce wine. The olives have to be crushed in order to produce olive oil. But most importantly, the greatest example of all time is the fact that the Savior has to be crushed. And that who created man in his own image comes in the image of man and is crushed so that we can have life. So the crushing is so very important. And that's the first thing that we see is these men are walking along this road and they're wandering and they have this encounter with a stranger who they don't even know is Jesus. Listen, how many of you here have had plans and you said, okay, Lord, these are my plans. All right, these are my plans, God. But if you need to, crush them so that you can have your way. That's a scary prayer. Right? I want to see this turn out this way, Lord, but if you have to crush the way that I see it in order to do things the way that you want to do them, then do that. That's a prayer. That's Jesus in the garden saying, listen, I know that you're all power. I know you can do anything so you can deliver me, but not as I will, as you will. Lord, if you need to crush this, let's read verse 18 as they continue the conversation. So they've uh, Jesus has said, what kind of conversation is this that you've had with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened here in these days? And they could have just as well said, What have you been hiding under a rock? And Jesus could have replied, No, I've been behind one. Verse 19 says, And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping, that's a key word there, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, Today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive, and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Again, they're shaking their head. They don't necessarily understand. They are confused. It's our second C. Crushed and then confused. 
The disciples admit to the stranger, well, here's Jesus, and this guy was mighty in power and in deed, and, um, and we thought that he was going to be the deliverer. And now they killed him. Why are they confused? Listen, their theology is wrong. How important is theology? Come on, gang. We've got Genesis to Revelation. We've got the Word of God. Our theology is important because one false belief system absorbed, one false belief system about this God, you can receive something in this world uh, in a confused way, respond to it in a confused way, and you go further and further and further down the rabbit trail. And so what you believe about God is important. Otherwise, you will be confused by the things that you see in this world, by the things that you experience in your life. Their assumptions about the Messiah were based off of what they wanted him to be rather than Scripture said he was. We've done that. I've been guilty of this. But here's the thing. The truth is, is that when our assumption is based off of Scripture, he's more than we ever dreamt. When our assumptions are based off of our expectations or our personal desires or off of our experience, then what's going to happen is we're going to walk away like these guys did, confused, shaking our head, saying, you know, this is a mess out there. It is. There's no doubt that as you look at this world, it seems to be spiraling into chaos and confusion. But how you respond to it, what you see and what you do about it, that's determined by what you believe. And listen, when we sell it wrong here, when we teach it wrong here, what happens is, is that we contribute to confusion. 2020, the church is guilty, as charged. Church is the bride of Christ, all right? But the church's responsibility is to be washed by the Word. And the Word forms the church. The church doesn't form the Word. So what you believe about God is incredibly important. If somebody believes that this is an accident, if somebody believes that there's no designer, if the church begins to confuse the teaching and say, listen, God promises you abundant life, the more money you put in that box back there, well, God's going to return that a hundredfold to you. And what happens is that when you put the money in the slot machine offering box, slot machine offering box, and you don't get back what you thought, and there's no return, we sit there, and, and now who are you disappointed in? Well, the pastor told me this, and this is what we're supposed to believe about God. And we're wondering why what we see in Scripture is that when Jesus came, he started flipping over tables in the religious establishment. He turned everything that they thought they knew upside down. Even Peter, who was his right hand. What happens? Peter gets confused, man. He's in the garden. He draws a sword. Jesus says, those who live by the sword, die by the sword, heals the guy's ear. Peter is thrown. He's just as confused as we are when our theology is off, when our belief about God is off. You look at the life of Joseph in Scripture. Joseph is this young man talked about in Genesis. And what a beautiful picture of the life of Christ from Genesis 37 through Genesis 50. You look at the story of Joseph and wow, is it not amazing, right? But Joseph does the right thing, seemingly. 
in whatever setting he's in, he tries to do the right thing and it says the Lord's with him. So the Lord is with him and Joseph does the right thing. Well, one day when he's serving in his master's house, his master's wife comes on to him. And Joseph does the right thing. He says, no, I want to honor my master. I want to honor my God. What happens? He gets falsely accused of rape. And now somebody that doesn't understand it would take a look at this and they'd say, well, what just happened here? Shouldn't God be honoring this? Because that's the way that it's thought often in the church today. If you do well, if you do the right thing all the time, then you're going to receive God's blessing. But sometimes God's blessing doesn't necessarily look the way that we think it should look because our theology's been confused. That's why it's important to teach the whole counsel of God. Can't you imagine these disciples on this road saying, I just, I just don't get it. I don't get the fact that this amazing, loving man, the bad guys won. They killed him. They're confused. Listen, we're going to get confused if we don't measure what is said from here against this. Be a discerner of the spirits. Test the spirits. How do you test the spirits? You use the ultimate litmus test, and it's the word of God. If somebody comes to you and they say, I have a word from God for you, for your life. Be very careful. Be very cautious that it measures up against the truth of Scripture. These men are so confused on this road. Can you just imagine this? Jesus is kind of just sitting there waiting. They're so hopeless right now. They're so sad. I can't wait to bring it on them, to lay it on them, who they're walking with. Verse 25 through 27. Then the stranger said to them, again, they don't realize that it's Jesus, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself stop right there. I would love it if everybody was here on Wednesday night for Bible study. I love our Bible studies. I love these Bible studies. I don't like it when people miss our Bible studies. Because I think that what's being said here is important. But I cannot imagine being part of this Bible study. Who's leading the Bible study tonight? Jesus. Wow. Okay. Jesus is leading the Bible study. Yeah, I think I want to go to that one. I don't think I'll miss that Bible study because Jesus is leading it. Listen, we're, we're traveling on a road together, right? And the road that we're traveling on together, the first thing that we saw was crushed. Then the second thing we saw was confused. But if we're going to get to the place where we're consumed and captivated and compelled, something has to happen along that road. And here's what happens. It's the third C. On our journey over the seven seas. It's our third C, and that C is confrontation. There's going to have to be a confrontation with the truth. Somewhere there's going to have to be a showdown with the truth. Now, here's the good news about being crushed and confused. Because if you've been at that point in your life, or if you are at that point in your life, that's a perfect crucible for you. Perfect, perfect crucible. It's a perfect ground for you to be able to better receive the truth when you're confronted by it. It's a perfect environment. When we're crushed, when we're broken, when we're empty, when we've got nothing left. 
is at that point, if something is going to change, there has to be a showdown. There's got to be a showdown. I remember the movie Forrest Gump, and Lieutenant Dan has a showdown. All right? He's lost both his legs, and Lieutenant Dan is up on the ship's mast, and he's saying, okay, you know what? Uh, I'm going to have a showdown, God. You call this a storm? No, you show yourself to me. Guess what? God shows himself to Lieutenant Dan. All right? Every straight story in this book starts with a confrontation with truth. It starts with a showdown. It's Moses in a burning bush. It's Elijah and a whirlwind. It's Peter and and James and John and Andrew and they're fishing. It's uh, it's a tax collector sitting in his booth and Jesus coming along. That moment he changes everything. The way that it works in the church is this, is that as long as the church stays close to this, then you're being presented with truth. This is the power. All right? The Spirit-led teaching of the Word of God and the full counsel of it from Genesis to Revelation. This is where the power is. When the church gets away from this, it's absolutely powerless. When the church stays close to this, and so it's important to teach the full counsel of God. Now here they are talking with the stranger again. Remember, they don't know it's Jesus. And the first thing Jesus says to them, you have to love him. You foolish ones. They're talking with a stranger. He says, you foolish ones, slow of heart to believe. You guys ain't too bright, are you? Yeah, okay. Not too smart. Um, I mean, isn't this what Scripture said was going to happen? Exactly what Scripture said was going to happen? I mean, it seems blunt. But let me ask you, how many of you kind of need blunt in here? Right, sometimes the whisper of God works. Sometimes he needs a two-by-four and a megaphone, right? How many of you have needed the two-by-four in your life, and that's the only way God could get your attention? Going, Slow of heart, foolish people. What's wrong? Listen, it was cool. In the theater in New York, if we were reading a play, New York was just this amazing place to live. Because if, if I had a play in front of me and I was doing this play and I didn't understand what the author wrote, do you know that there are times in New York City, because you're in New York City, you can actually call up and you can actually get in touch with the playwright and say, what does this mean? Right? In the same way, you have the Word of God, you have the Holy Spirit in you, and a God that desires to reveal himself to you, you have everything that you need uh, for this confrontation. And so every time you are presented with the Word of God, um, the way that we teach it like this up north sometimes um, at the health facility that I work at is this, is that Jesus is called in Scripture the great physician. He's also called the wonderful counselor. And so what happens is this, is that when you are sitting with this book as your counselor, you have no better counselor. You have no better counselor than this book. And this is something that you always have access to and is truth. I mean, can you imagine when... This guy that they don't know sits them down and says, starting with Moses and the prophets. Now, let's take a look at this. Okay. He says, turn in your Bibles to Genesis 3.15, that whole thing with Satan and Eve and Adam. Let's look at that verse in Genesis 3.15. Now, turn in your Bibles to Exodus. All right, that picture of Moses that you have there in Exodus, well, that's a picture of what Jesus is going to do, except in a spiritual way. Uh, what about Abraham taking his son up the hill? You've got a picture of uh, Jesus there, too. Now, Jesus is telling them the entire story of Joseph, basically. 
Alright, so he's going through this comprehensive study, showing them Jesus everywhere. That's why we're doing the Through the Bible series. So that when we take a look at Leviticus, and when we take a look at Ezekiel, and when we take a look at Daniel, and we take a look at these books, you can look and say, Jesus is there, Jesus is there, Jesus is there, wow! The way he tied everything together, this is genius, yes, he's God! Thank you! Yeah, you're really good at this, God! Thanks, I'm God! <laughs> And you're going through the book. You want a confrontation with truth. And so, we teach the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And why we get confused is because we fail to have the confrontation that we need to have. I was liking it like this last night conversation with my wife. The GPS thing has just really been getting to me lately, the God positioning system. All right, when we're lost, what do we do? We type in the address, the destination, into the GPS, right? And so here's the thing. So the destination, here's what I'm hoping for in my life. Maybe you are too. I'm hoping for more joy in my life. I'm typing joy into the destination, into my GPS. And the road that I have to take is Jesus. I'm typing peace. I'm looking for more peace in my life. And when I type peace in as my destination, the answer I'm getting, the road that I need to take there, is I-95. No, it's Jesus. It's a turnpike. Listen, I want love in my life, real love, true love, unconditional love. I type that into my GPS. Guess what the answer is? Jesus. It's a confrontation with truth. And here's the thing. If I don't put it into my God positioning system and I put it into the world's positioning system and I'm looking for joy, it's going to try to take me on another road to get there and I'll never get to the destination. You're never going to get there if you're looking to get it. So we have crushed and confused and then we have a confrontation because you and I have a final standard. This final standard speaks into our parenting. This final standard speaks into our finances. This final standard speaks into our relationship and our marriages and our family and uh, everything. It speaks into healing. Oh, does it speak into healing? But it's being confronted with the truth. And how sad would it be, do you think, to have the truth right in front of you and not know it? As Pilate did, he looked at Jesus, and can you imagine this moment? I think it's one of the saddest things in Scripture when Pilate looks at Jesus and he says, what is truth when it's right in front of you? And sometimes the truth of God and what he's doing and what he desires to do is right in front of us, and we miss it. We go to verse 28 of Luke chapter 24. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. This is why I got that scene from The Prince's Bride. Because it's like, this stranger is pretending to say, okay, I'm going to leave. No, 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 don't go. Whatever it is that they've just experienced, whatever it is that they've just heard, they want more of. Verse 30 says this. It says, Now 
It came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. Mic drop is right. Thank you. Mic drop. All right, here's, what, here's what's happened. You've gone from crushed to confused to a confrontation with truth. This is the this is the fourth C. It's clarity. Clarity. Okay? This is clarity. Wait, don't go. Please stay here. How many of you have had those moments in your personal worship with time or your time with God or in a Bible study and you're like, man, I wish this time would not end. I'm getting fed here. I feel like God is talking to me. And you're like, oh, God, I'm talking. Please keep talking. All right? What's happened here is this, is that the confrontation with the truth has made their vision clear. When you were kids, how many of you were told that if you ate carrots, you would see better, would improve your vision? Anybody? All right. I was told if I ate spinach, I would be stronger. And if I, uh, if I ate carrots, I would see better. And I was told that if I ate lots of bread, it would put hair on my chest. Let's not even go there. Okay, I was told these things. Some of you are bread eaters here. <laughs> Some of you are not. <laughs> but here's the thing. What we see here is clarity. Clarity, and I know that you could use more of this in your life. Right? The clarity comes because as, as he's going to uh, walk away from them, they're saying, no, 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 please stay. And we love it when things are clear in our life. We love it when God presents something that's so clear to us. And that's exactly what happens. Is that when the bread is blessed and he breaks it and he gives it to them, then their eyes were open. Now, I don't know what it took to open your eyes. But I know that sometimes God has to put us in dark situations so that we can see the light better. And that's kind of what happens here. I mean, we lived at one point in Boynton Beach. And we could see the stars at night a little bit. But then we moved out to Westlake Worth. Now we can see the stars more. Now, when I go up to Honey Lake, up in North Florida, oh, they're all over the place. But when I've been up to the mountains in Georgia, that's just an entirely different experience altogether. Why? Because the light pollution is decreasing. The distractions are minimized. And all of a sudden, you can see the light for what it is. The light hasn't changed. Your situation has. So what puts everything in perspective to us? What makes it clear? Your worship does. It's your worship. It's your celebration of God. If your frustration is up here, listen to this, please. If your frustration is up here, if your anger is up here, if your anxiety is up here, then your worship is not where it needs to be. Because the worship is the thing that puts everything else in perspective. And if the worship isn't there, then everything else falls apart. And if the worship is there, now please don't misunderstand. This book is not a... It's not like a genie, okay? So it's like sometimes I go into this book and it might not always give a direct answer to my dilemma. But it will always provide an experience with my God. So I might not always get the answer to the direct dilemma that I'm in. But here's the thing. If he's enough, 
If Christ is really enough, then that's fine. And if he's not enough, then that's especially why I need to be in here. But you're saying, but pastor, when things aren't clear in my life, I don't feel like worship. Exactly. And that's that's an indication that you might be worshiping the wrong thing. So when they break the bread, their eyes are opened. Now things are, as we like to say, crystal. Did I say that right? Crystal. Yeah. Anyway. Give it to me. Okay, give me that one. Okay. Verse 32. Focus, another one's coming. Verse 32. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? When he talked with us on the road, when he opened the scripture to us, listen, if the church stops opening the scripture, then stop going to the church, including Amen. this church. Amen. All right? If we stop doing this, because that's when their hearts are burning within them, okay? They're burning within them when they're looking at scripture. And they're like, oh, we need, we need more of that. Our hearts were burning. Basically, they walk away saying this. That was lit. <laughs> I've been waiting for that all week. All right? I've been waiting for that for that all week. Okay? This situation, this was lit. When Jesus did that... All right? And now all of a sudden, our eyes were opened up. Listen, when you start understanding the truth of this book, it opens up your entire world. All right? And now if we've gone from crushed, see, follow us on this journey, right? We've gone from crushed to confused to confronted with truth to clarity. Now it's getting better. This is how it works. There's a tie for two C's in this one, so this is a bonus C. Consumed or captivated is number six. Consumed or captivated. Or both. Or both, thank you. All right, let's do eight today. All right, so consumed or captivated. All right, did our, not heart, did our hearts not burn within us? All right, according to the book of Hebrews, it's chapter 4, verse 12. The word is living and active, and it's sharper than a double-edged sword. How many of you heard the same stories over and over in church? Yet you hear the story, the same story that you've heard before, and you're like, wow, wow, wow. It's like I've never heard it before. Some of us have studied through the road to a mess, but maybe you didn't see it like this. I didn't. I'm sitting there, and I'm reading it, and I'm like, wow, wow, and wow. This is incredible. Listen, if your pastor's not excited about the word, how can you ever be? Amen. All right, we've got to be excited about it. And it's the same thing with your own life. If you're not consumed by this, then you're being consumed by something else. All right? And if you're being consumed by something else, you're going to burn out. And if you're consumed with this, you're going to be fired up. Right? You get consumed with this, you're going to be fired up. Because this is what it's all about. How many of you have been fired up about the wrong thing, fired up about the wrong thing, like engine dies, right? The engine dies because you got the wrong thing in the tank. That's why the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. He's going to set your heart on fire. This is what he does. Listen, John 4, I'm not going to ask you to turn there for time's sake, but I'm going to go there. All right, John 4 says it like this. After the woman at the well meets with Jesus, all right, she went there in the heat of day, bringing her thing to carry the water in, right? And she has this encounter with Jesus, and by the end of it, Jesus basically says point blank to the Samaritan woman, tells her point blank that he's the Messiah, 
Just listen to what happens between verses 27 and 32. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way to the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Did you see what just happened there? She left her water pot. That's the only reason she went there. She left her water pot. The thing that she originally went there for, she found something better. She found Jesus. And so she leaves the water water pot. She goes back into the sea and says, come see a man that, that, that told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said this, I have food to eat, the likes of which you do not know. Anybody that has been used by God, whether you are telling someone about him, teaching someone about him, giving someone a cup of cold water in his name, and you felt, wow, I just had this God experience, and this was so much better than the, than the, than the uh, church potluck. <laughs> Actually, and that's pretty, I mean, for our church, that's pretty good, because we have some pretty amazing cooks in our church. Yeah, Bob, Bob, thanks. Uh, okay, so, so I'm glad you got it. All right? And so here we are, and you found something better, and so now what happens is, is that the woman leaves her water pot, the disciples offer food to Jesus, and he says, no, 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 the lights of which I have, you can't even imagine this. And the more consumed you get with him, the more you experience of him. It's just the way it works. John 14, 21 says it like this. And this is one that you're going to want to write down. You don't want to forget this because this truth, Jesus says it here. He says, he who obeys my commands and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and show myself to him. You want to see more of God? Do what he says. But listen, you're only going to do what he says when you are consumed with him, with his love. If you try to do it out of religious duty, you'll get just as consumed and burned up as you would by the things of the world. If you try to do it because of religious duty, if you do it out of a genuine sense of love for Jesus, then you're not going to burn out. After John F. Kennedy was assassinated, his wife Jackie was very specific about the type of memorial she wanted him to have. She previously admired the eternal flame at the tomb of the French unknown soldier in Paris and felt that a similar tribute would be appropriate for her husband. The idea was approved and the Washington Gas Company had put a day to design a propane torch that could be used at the funeral. They pulled it off and the flame has been burning ever since. The eternal flame has been burning ever since, kind of. Despite the fact that it's designed to reignite itself, the flame has, at least on two occasions, gone out. First, there was the holy water incident. On December 10, 1963, a group of Catholic school children were visiting Kennedy's memorial at Arlington National Cemetery. The gravesite was temporary, a place for the public to grieve while the permanent memorial was being constructed. Even so, the eternal flame was already in place, lit by Jackie the day of the funeral, while the children managed to extinguish the flame less than a month later while blessing it with holy water. And everybody must have been like... That's your kid. That's not my kid. I don't know who did that, but I don't know. Listen, there's a flame that will not burn out. 
as long as we are delighting ourselves in Him, as long as we're worshiping ourselves in Him, as long as we are seeking Him, we will not burn out. There's a song that we used to sing in church. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, burning, burning. You ever heard that? Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, burning, burning. Keep me burning till the light of the Okay, anyway. Um, but you get the point. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> and that's going to bring us on our journey to our last C. Let's read verses 33 through 35. It says here, So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in breaking and the breaking of bread. Okay, and so they rose up that very hour. This is the last C. All right? Compelled. They're compelled to do something with their experience. It's the difference between this. How many of you know people that have just been kind of pushing through life? Every day we're just surviving. We're just getting through. And every day is a drudge. And every day is monotonous. And every day is this. And every day is that. And you're pushing. And you're pushing. And you're pushing. There's a difference when somebody finds their purpose. And whatever it is that they found now pulls them through. Right? Now you're being pulled through life. And that makes it different. And you're only pulled when you find a purpose greater than yourself. Now, the Bible is full of people that had these encounters with Christ, these encounters with God, and having found these encounters, what happened was everything changed when they had these encounters. The Bible is full of these stories. Listen. So's the room. So's the room. And I can say this because I know some of you very well. Crushed, confused, found truth, changed everything. Somebody that found through their pain, they were knocked on their backside and God revealed himself. And now what happened was they said, you know what, I'm going to use whatever it is that I've been through. I'm going to touch anybody that's struggling with addiction. Guess what they're getting? They're going to get Jesus. Because Jesus changes everything. Somebody that made it through cancer, fourth stage cancer, you know what, they found Jesus through their struggle. Now they're going to give Jesus everything. Somebody that found him through their prison stay. And somebody, while they were in prison, handed them a Bible, and they didn't have much else to do. So they opened it up, and they started reading it, and God met them there. And now they said, you know, prison, prison ministry is for me. That's what I want to do. All right? What happens is this, is that God takes those things, takes those struggles, He meets you, He ignites a passion, and if you try to find your answers anyplace else than your GPS that points you to Jesus, you're going to be off. I'm going to close you with one more illustration. We're going to go back to Narnia where we went last week. Author Thomas Williams writes about an encounter a girl named Jill has with Aslan in another part in the series, The Silver Chair. Now, Aslan represents Jesus in the Narnia series. Jill is alone and desperately thirsty in unknown woods. She comes upon a stream, but between her and the water sits the great lion. Aslan tells her that she can drink, but the terrified girl wants assurance that she will not be eaten. When he refuses to promise, Jill determines to find another stream, but he tells her there is no other stream. 
Aslan wants her to have the life-giving water, but she wants it on her own terms. She wants fulfillment without God. Aslan ignores her desire for safety, insisting that she take the risk of encountering God, who is the ultimate satisfaction of all needs and desires. God wants us happy, but as Lewis explains elsewhere, and please listen to this, God, God wants us happy, but as he explains elsewhere, it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about relationship with him. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. Williams concludes, it would not be loving for God to let us off the hook when our desire for comfort and safety causes us to avoid him. No, Aslan is neither safe nor is he tame, but in every instance his severity is ultimately revealed as his love. In another story, when he's greeted by the penitent Lucy after her failure to follow him, he kisses her, breathes his sweet breath on her, and enfolds her tenderly. Such scenes fill the pages of Narnia, giving us a picture of God so magnetic and appealing that it's no wonder many children, and adults too, fall in love with Jesus after meeting Aslan. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you again. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Keep the fire burning, God. As we turn our hearts to you, to love you with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength, Lord, would you please continue to reveal yourself to us? And Father, that those that have come to this place crushed and confused, prayerfully, there's been a confrontation with truth. And we would leave captivated, consumed, and clear, and compelled. Because we're called to go into this world. Take that light that you've put in us. Shine in the darkness. Thank you. In Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.